Ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to another episode of The Buster Show. Today, we have another very special guest, Mr. Brandon Steiner. Brandon, welcome to the show. Well, thanks for having me. Everything good with you? Everything is great. How are you? I'm doing well. No complaints. Everything is, you know, the weather. Obviously, we're in the middle of a, a really adverse situation that we can't seem to get through that quickly. So, uh you know, the inner strength here, you know, to keep grinding, keep going. And, you know, my, my thought process is just try to figure out what I want to look like and how I want to, what kind of position I want to be in when this is all over. And that's kind of what I, where I take my mindset as opposed to watching the news and getting caught up with, you know, wow, I feel like I'm on house arrest here where, you know, you're kind of limited where you can go, limited what you can do and who you can do it with. I'm just trying to figure out what I could do, how much I could do, at the same time, staying safe and, and help myself at the same time. A hundred percent. And what I've heard from a lot of people too, especially those who have come on here is, is just the reminder that because yes, that's so, true. Yes. that it's so difficult right now, that means it's only going to get easier afterwards because just more you're, you're, you're going to tough through this and just get better and better and better at, dealing with this situation and building, you know, whether it be brands or companies or new products or shows within this. And then, you know, like anything just gets easier as you continue on. Well, sometimes, I mean, I, I think, you know, easier is really not the, uh, I don't know if I would use that word. I, I think right now, if you're looking for easy, I mean, I think anytime you're looking for easy is probably not probably a good thing to be thinking about because, no matter what, I mean, life's difficult. Most jobs, if they're really anything worth anything, are difficult. I was telling a CEO the other day, I'm like, you got a hard job. I don't care how long you go to a spa and then go to a retreat and then work out. Tomorrow will be a new set of problems. And I think there's always a new set of problems. And I think if you know that, you know that your job is difficult, you know you're starting a company that to run it is going to be hard or to get it started is going to be hard. As you move into difficulties, you're not shocked by it because you've born into that. You, your mindset's born into that. Like I just started two new companies, Collectible Exchange, the Steiner Agency, after 32 years of building and starting an industry and a business. And it's freaking hard. I yeah. mean, I got to tell you, but I know that, you know, I've started businesses before. I mean, it still doesn't take away from it being hard, but you know, you have the defense. If you're going swimming, and you got a bathing suit on, you know the water's going to be a little cold, you jump in, but you know, you got your suit, you're ready. You got your towel when you come out. And, you know, if you don't know it's cold, you got your regular clothes on, you're not much in a position to jump into the water. And I think it's just really important to really get your expectations, you know, and get your expectations straightened out into appreciation. I think a lot of people get caught up with expectations. And I get caught up totally. with appreciations. And I think it's so important because what happens is when your expectations don't get met and you think one thing and then another thing happens, you get disappointed. And disappointment is, is like kryptonite, you know, to Superman. I mean, you know, most people are walking around with a lot of disappointments. You know, can you believe this virus? Can you believe my job furloughed me? Can you believe I'm not making as much money as I thought I was going to make? Hey, based on what? Who said you're supposed to make all that money? Who? Who guaranteed you that? <laughs> yeah, they, they definitely told themselves that. But I, I think for me... Like when I say easy, I mean that it, that I enjoy it, that I love it, because okay, that's yeah, and that, yeah, yeah. Because when you, you enjoy what you're doing, 
everything's a lot simpler and easier. That's yeah. true. So I, you know, point. And, and I love kind of how you've always done everything in, in your life in terms of doing what you love and diving into the collectibles world and the, you know, memorabilia world, which I am so in love with like yourself, where, where, I want to talk about the beginning for a second. Where did you realize that you could take or when and how did you realize you could take that passion for collectibles and memorabilia and sports and actually turn it into a business way before social media? Well, I mean, I, I was looking at the collectible thing and people have been collecting stuff, you know, for a hundred years, frankly, maybe even more, you know, so I was, in a, I, I looked at the business and I thought there was a lot of room for improvement. When I started getting into collectibles, you know, I was a marketing company, still have that marketing company. That's what the Steiner Agency is, where we book athletes and do appearances. And when I did the collectible thing, I only thought that was going to supplement. So if I hired um, Eli Manning or Peyton Manning to go do an appearance for a corporate thing, back then it was Roger Staubach or Frank Harris, you know, what I thought would be cool is I'd bring 12 footballs to sign for the corporate customer to be able to give out to the people who were there or maybe to give to clients. It was... I never really looked at me getting into the collectible thing as something that I was going to do as a more of a fandom thing and more of a retail thing. I, I was really just looking at it as a corporate thing. So, and I was doing that. I mean, I had, I was always a saver and always a collector. I always loved science stuff and different knickknack stuff. But what's crazy is I was on the train in 1994. This is not going to be as sexy a story as you think, but it's, it's actually <laughs> the truth of it because I am a spiritual solution-based salesperson, not just somebody who just does something just for the money, although the money always matters. So I'm on the train and I'm on the Metro North and you're a Westchester, Connecticut guy, you know, that's the yeah. train to get you into the city. And I gotta tell you, going on that train was misery for me. I hated getting on the train, especially, you know, waiting. I missed the train and everything else. And across from me is this woman arguing with her husband another guy had his shoes off, another person was eating and it just was not working for me you know, this 45 minute train ride. And uh, my mom had just passed away and the Rangers had just won the Stanley Cup. And the New York Rangers, the hockey team winning the Stanley Cup is comparable like to the Cubs winning recently a couple of years ago. You know, we had a one in 54 years, the whole city was going crazy. You know, that was an original 16. So I looked down at this guy's newspaper and there's a picture of Mark Messier with the Stanley Cup grinning. And I mean, what, I mean, and I'm like, my wife was making most of the money. I wasn't doing really well at that point. I was making a little bit of money. I didn't have the balls to ask her to maybe for me to get my own car to drive in the city. It was expensive. So I'm thinking to myself, I got to get a car. I got to go make some money. So mm -hmm. I look at this paper and I'm like, I bet you I could sell 15,000 of those. That's the amount of people that fit into Madison Square Garden that probably was at that game when the Rangers won the cup. So it takes me like three months and I always say, it doesn't really matter where you are. As miserable as I was trekking into the city, not making a lot of money, trying to figure out where the Steiner company was going at the time, I wasn't willing to accept it anymore. I'm like, you know, I don't mind. I'm not making a lot of money, but I'm not getting on this train anymore. And I got to figure out how to make enough money to go buy a car. So I look at this thing. I track Mark down. It takes like three months. Calling his account. And again, it doesn't matter where you are. It's what you want to accept. I'm not willing to accept getting on this train anymore. Therefore, I'm willing to do anything and everything to track his sister, brother, uncle, cousin, accountant, lawyer down. I track Mark down. I signed my first collectible deal. Not for the betterment of mankind, not because I want to do all these cool things for the fans, but I just want to get off the goddamn train. And 
So I, I pushed myself into the collectible business of signing this first guy to a collectible deal because I thought I could make a lot of money. And sure enough, I did. I got sold the hell out of it. I did a two-year deal with Mark. And we did really, really well. I didn't really even see it coming. I wasn't even sure it was going to work, but it was worth the chance because I knew if this worked, I'd be able to go make some money and then buy the car, which is what I did. So to get the collectible company started, started with a really bad day on a train, kind of dwelling probably on my mom's death, not feeling too good about myself and coming up with a high level of unacceptance and saying, I'm not going to tolerate this position anymore. And only then was I ready to do whatever it took to do something about it. Mm. which ended up hence pushing me to start another division to my existing company, which was to start selling collectibles to anyone and everyone that wanted to buy a Mark Messier photo. Right. It was a goddamn money grab. I'm not going to lie. But in all fairness, I was a solution-based salesperson. I realized after I did that deal that there was a lot of issues out there in collecting with fraudulent stuff. No one had ever done hockey collectibles, really. It was not a, a, a market that had even been created. And all kinds of opportunities came from that initial money grab. And the message I wanted to say to you is, listen, I think it's important to do things for the right reasons, but sometimes it's okay just doing because you just want to make some money so I can go buy my, I bought myself a nice Lexus and drove from that day on. <laughs> and I mean, sometimes it's okay to say, you know something, I just want to be a little richer than I am now because I want to buy a capitalistic thing, a monetary thing i'm going to be a little pretentious i want to upgrade my car i want to buy a little nicer house and i'm going to go bust my ass to go get it but i think when you're doing that sort of thing if, if you're doing that thing year in and year out and that's basically the main course of your action of working on a day-to-day -day, you're probably going to be very disappointed when you get down to the end of that train line because yeah. that will not bring you to happiness and that's not going to keep you fulfilled so you got to be careful but every now and then if you have something really that's important to you that you want to have, I mean, that's, that's part of life and it's okay to get into a money grab situation, I, I think. But if that's your whole game, then you're just going to end up waking up one day with a pot full of money and not a whole lot else to show for it. And, and, and you're probably holding yourself back to finding out what you're truly here to do and, and, and the other things that really could create a lot of joy other than just making money. Well, first off, that's an amazing story. And I love that you went after you know, one of the biggest guys to start. Um, that's it was, that's it was crazy. I mean, nobody had Mark. Mark was a very, you know. How do you how do you get a guy? Because I've heard some crazy stories of, you know, how people went after advertisers or players early on. As crazy as like putting their competitor in the newspaper <laughs> to catch their attention and then calling them, telling them that their competitor was advertising in the newspaper. Like I've heard the craziest stories in terms of, you know, how you get people signed. How did you get him signed at the very beginning? I mean, I think there's a lot of ways to obtain, you know, customer acquisition and to, and to grow your business. And obviously it's something that you have to be good at because if you really want to grow and build a company of any kind of size, you have to be good at figuring out how to go get, you know, high quality customers. And, you know, you're not the only person usually trying to do that. And I think it's very simple. I mean, yes, you know, I would always go to competitors. If I saw a player wearing a Nike sneaker, I would go to Reebok. I go to Adidas and say, Hey, by the way, you know, I'd always go to competitors where I saw Amex is now with the NBA. I go to, MasterCard and say, you guys should get in and do some more stuff at MLB, or maybe we could do some stuff with some of the players to combat that. And we talked that, you know, backdoor promotion. But the real answer to your question is, 
and most people don't think about this, like what's your real true value proposition? You know, what value do you bring to the table? Mm-hmm. And that's critical. And you have to find value in what you're doing if you really want to obtain a really good customer and keep one. And value is what you could do for someone that they can't do for themselves. So value is what you can do for someone they can't do for themselves. And that's what you have to broadcast. And often the value you can provide doesn't always lead to a bottom line, but nobody wants to get rid of someone who's thinking about my problems and thinking about stuff that I don't want to do or can't do. Interesting. So when you look at that, you know, when you look at the value proposition, people don't realize like, you know, I built up some big companies and I've done really well, but I started off my initial value, which is probably, well, how did you get some of these players? I started doing fan mail, you know, back in the late eighties and nineties, no internet, whatever you wanted to communicate to a player. You wrote them a letter, went to the stadium. And so, you know, a lot of these players were sitting with boxes of mail and they felt guilty about throwing them out because it could be some sick kid. It could be uh, somebody asking for a favor. There could be some business in there. So what I did is I found a niche of saying, hey, I'll do your fan mail for you. And what that did is I took care of a problem that the player had at the same time. I saw opportunity in the mail. I opened up thousands of letters. I'd find two or three appearances. I found five or six really important letters that you know, a player should respond to because somebody was sick or maybe it was a distant uh, person that they had known and they were trying to get a hold of them. So, you know, and then it caused me to have to go meet up with the player at least once a month. And then I would talk to him about other ideas. So, you know, it's the same thing like when I met Derek Jeter, the first thing I did is I focused on his foundation, his turn two. I know it was really important to him and how we're going to raise money and how we can build up the foundation. And I was very instrumental in in helping him do that. And then it led to us developing a really longer-term relationship, contracts, autographs, appearances, clinics. But it initiated with me trying to figure out what I could do for him that he needed help with. And when most people meet a very influential account, when they meet a, a wealthy person or a celebrity, the first thing they think is what they can get from them. Wow, this person knows a lot of people. Oh, wow, this person can, man, if I ever can land this account, this could be a huge account for me. When I meet influential people, and I really mean this sincerely, and since I'm a little kid, I've been thinking this way because my mother taught me this. I think about what I can do for that person, what value I can provide. I don't chase down a relationship unless until I have value that I feel I can provide that makes sense. I don't just start calling people up and hoping something's going to stick. I call people up with value propositions that I think is an idea that can help them do something they can't do for themselves, help them save money. I always try to start a relationship off with a value proposition of me giving some value to them that says, wow, this, this guy has, wow, this, maybe this can help me. Because it's the, only, it's the only solid ground you can stand on when you're trying to develop a new relationship, particularly with a high-quality relationship. Totally. It's, and it's amazing how many people are just focused in on what they have and what they're selling and what they're trying to do and calling me up to convince me about wanting to use that instead of really understanding what I'm going through, what I need, and possibly finding some value. And listen, sometimes it's hard to figure out what that value is. So find out what that person's charity is or causes or what their kids are into and see how you can help to a side door of, you know, maybe getting on a board or helping a charity that you know that is a really, really important charity to a potential decision maker. You know, there's a lot of different ways to attack it, but it, it really starts with the give, not the get. I think that's incredible advice for everybody listening. And also I, I think one thing to note too, whenever, uh, I get a bunch of cold emails. It's always very easy to figure out like there are two types. There are ones with U's and ones with I's. 
And that's exactly what you're talking about. It's people. That's true. All right. I, this, I, that, I would really love an internship. I would really love this. And I really appreciate if you could hop on the phone for 30 minutes or it's like, you helped me so much, like whatever you need, I would love to be, or not even I, but, uh, you know, am available if you would, if you need a helping hand, you know, that kind of thing. And that's, that's how I internally divide email. Even my biggest break, you know, when I think about my biggest breaks, it was because there was some value that of either some experience or something that I had that I was able to do for somebody, even the Hard Rock Cafe. And that's before you were born. But in 1984, you know, the first Hard Rock in New York, there was one in LA, the two owners had split up and he was opening up this gigantic restaurant. I happened to have experience in larger restaurants. I was a restaurateur. And only until when I was doing my second interview that I noticed a computer on the floor. And it was a new computer system because back then, if you wanted to order something from the waiter, she or he wrote it down, ran into the kitchen, gave it to the chef. This was the first computer system where you go into a computer terminal as crazy as most of you think that's just normal. Right. That was the most abnormal thing in the 80s because everybody wrote it down and you ran into the kitchen and the chef would try to read what you wrote. So this was the first multi, you know, especially if you're opening up a restaurant that was a chain, you'd be able to go to a computer terminal, type in all the different things you wanted. But more importantly, the central office could see when the busiest hours in that restaurant were, what items they were selling the most of. Because when you were doing it manually, it was very hard to get that data. Mm-hmm. So here I am. I worked for Hyatt prior to Hard Rock, and they were the first ones to use this computer system, the NCR 2160. It was the first multi-unit computer system for restaurants and hotels. And I was incredibly trained on it because it was the first hotel multi-unit uh, chain that used it. So they threw a lot of training on you. So anything that happened with the damn thing, I'm the most computer literate person you can imagine. That's what's so ironic about the story is, but I drilled into this computer because I needed that information to get promotions. So I really knew how to work the computer system because I knew that if I didn't, I would never learn how to cut staff, push more on certain specials that were higher priced, figure out my menu. So I use it to a T. I go into the Hard Rock interviews and I'm doing well, but I got a feeling it's 2,000 applicants for one job. How am I going to get this job? And as I'm walking out, I see the 2160 on the floor. And I turn to the Isaac Tiger, who was the owner at the time. You're going to use the 2160? He goes, how do you know that? I said, I'm completely trained on it. I can take this computer apart. As it turns out, I don't get the job. Heartbroken. Two full interviews. I get a call a week after they open. After I'd stopped by and said, listen, what's going on? He goes, well, our computer system's down. I stopped by in the restaurant three days later to say, look, if you ever need anything, I'm available. I'm kind of bummed that you get the job, but you know, if anything changes, I'm here. A week later, I get a call and say, we're having so many problems with this computer. You think you can come in for an interview? And that's why I got the assistant wow. chef. And I'm the youngest manager in that restaurant. It was 2,000 covers a day. 250 people online for over 12 hours a day to get into this 250C restaurant. And I'm the youngest manager. I mean, you're talking about hiring managers that were at least five or six years older than me. I was only 23 and far more experience. And I surpassed them in money, salary, and the title and run the place at night. So, you know, you don't, you know, you got to understand, you always have to be thinking about what's your real value, not because you just went to college and you're a good person or this or that, you got to really think about your strengths and really how they can participate in the opportunities you're chasing after and really understand how to play those strengths because you never know when they're going to come up. That's super smart. 
the last thing I want to ask you about here is dirt. Dirt. <laughs> Um, <laughs> for those who don't know, it, it might seem very odd, but, uh, for, for a little bit of context, I remember when I first saw Yankee, I don't even know if you actually know this story, but when I was like, what, I don't even think I told you when I came on your podcast two years ago, but when I was like 14, I went up to a Yankees game because I was huge. I was super into sports memorabilia and cards and everything. And I only know you. I only knew you guys. I only knew Signer Sports because I was from New York. Like, I knew that like I could get some cards at like Models and like a card shop, and memorabilia from you guys. Um, so I remember I was like 14, and you know I'm I'm very odd, and like I'll recognize business people that I look up to quicker than I will, you know, movie actors, Makes sense. like that. Um, and I remember I spotted you and I, I told my mom, I was like, I think that's Brandon Steiner. And she's like, oh, you, you should go say hi. So I went and said hi and you gave me your business card. I was like 14 at the time. Um, but I, I remember one of the first things that I was like really impressed by on the business front was that you were able to turn nothing into something in the form of dirt because you started selling dirt from Yankee Stadium. Um, how well, did that how did that all come to be? And also, thank you for being so nice to me at 14 because not everybody was. And you gave me your business card. And I I, I really appreciated that. Yeah, I I think that somehow along the way, like adults forgot that kids have rights and most times kids are a lot smarter than we are. I don't, I don't know where that disconnect happened, but I just never saw it that way. You know, when I had a kid come up to me that was interested in what I was doing or even interested to talking to me, I I took that as a blessing. Uh, what an opportunity to to do some market research because you know kids they just tell you the truth they just tell you everything what's on their mind like why not take advantage of that why do i gotta hire some company to do it so anytime a kid would come up to me which you know i'm very grateful that would happen often i was like blessed i mean i would hope you would email me I, i i had relationships with literally like hundreds of kids that would email me about things stuff they liked they didn't like questions about my pricing you know, 11 year old kids, but I'm like, I remember my, I remember my wife saying to me, I, there was an 11 year old that was like three doors down from my house and I'd take him to a high school game and then we were playing some basketball and my wife, and my, my, my older son had just graduated, went to college and my wife's like, you know, that's not your son. I said, honey, I, I know that's not my son. I said, but that's an 11 year old. I said, you realize the information, the value I have by hanging out with this kid it's unbelievable. Like, it's amazing. And then, you know, I could share with him whatever is on his mind, not his dad. So I could talk to him straight up about things that's on his mind. I'm three doors down. I always ask his parents. Sometimes I go hang out with him when his parents are there, but I always run everything through his parents. I don't want to be one of those weirdos, but it's amazing. An 11 year old has the capability and the possibility of anything and everything happening. At 11 years old, you could be the next president, the shortstop of the Yankees, um, the next governor, uh, you can be a Pulitzer Prize right. I mean, everything's possible. And I yeah. love that 11-year-old because of that. Everything is really doable and possible. And uh, I love the mindset. And, and, you know, when you're talking, you really, well, I can't really do that. Who knows how tall you're going to be? Maybe you could play in the NBA. I don't know. So yeah, and there's I've always, always enjoyed the, the, the relationship I had with younger kids, you know, when I go to the ballpark and their parents and stuff. I always give them the time and love because I just think it's, 
I think it's been a huge help to me to keep that 11 year old inside of me a little bit as I'm creating products and doing what I'm doing. Like I still have that 11 year old. I remember everything I did at 11 and 12, man. It's important years, you know, it's with so many possibilities. So I try to keep that 11 year old alive in me. And it's been one of my keys to success. I think the dirt thing really is a short story because it came out a little bit of desperation. We had come up with an idea about putting a capsule of dirt with a photo to kind of make it feel a little cute. And, and I knew that wasn't going to take us there, but we were selling a lot of them. We were selling like tons of photos with capsules of dirt. Then I started getting dirt from all these different ballparks with my relationship with MLB. And certainly the Yankee Stadium dirt, when we, when we sold the old stadium, really kicked off the dirt. Everybody wanted some of that. But what's funny is I'm selling thousands and thousands of units of dirt dirt pens, uh, capsules, keychains, clocks, you name it. We even took an adhesive. If you go on YouTube, you see there's a story about me talking about the dirt. Uh, it's a TED Talk, actually, if you get, get a moment to go in there, you watch it. Or maybe even on my uh, brandonsiren.com, the TED Talk's right there. So we spray adhesive on the photo, put the dirt on. But in my mind, I wanted to sell $100 million worth of dirt. I never thought small. And one of the messages I want to say in this conversation is your first idea is never your best idea. Do not let success in an idea deter you and get in the way of more success. It happens all the time. You have some success and then you're already thinking what else you could do instead of thinking how you could do what you've already done well better. And if you lose, if you can't get your arms around that concept, just think about Mariano Rivera, Apple. They didn't say, you know, we got an iPod, we're good. No. <laughs> You know what I'm saying? Like, you know, it's like you got to think about some of the best companies we've ever seen and yeah. they take the good and make it greater. Take the greater, make it best. Take the best, make it bester. You know, Mariano never threw a change up, never threw a curve. He was just constantly mastering that cutter and it became impossible. You know, we all got an iPhone, you know what I mean? So what's interesting is, and the thing I want to end this conversation with is about gratitude and gratefulness. And it's so, such an important element in faith as part of, you know, success in business. So I was writing Brian Cashman a thank you note because he had helped me so much with my Yankee Steiner relationship and, and really dealing with players and different things that came up. So I had my graphic person create a map of all the different stadiums. I thought it was cool. Nice poster with all the maps of every stadium. And then since I had the dirt from every stadium, I put a little capsule of every dirt around the stadium. And what I realized is that not all dirt is created equal. And by the way, the margins on the dirt are phenomenal. So, <laughs> and the viscosity, you know, the color, the depth, the texture of the dirt is really uniquely different. So I put this poster together. It's got the ballparks on there. It's got all the dirt capsules. And I write Brian, I know it. I said, Brian, I just want to thank you for everything. I really am grateful. And I created this poster of all the different stadiums. Now you have a little dirt on every team in your office. Boom. I'm now selling a $500 poster that has That's dirt amazing. on it. And that was the item. Now, listen, I sold pen sets and thousands and thousands of keychains and all kinds of things. But at $19 and $29, now I got a $500 item. So Derek Jeter gets 3,000 hits. We don't know how many hits he gets in each stadium. And then we do the dirt. Every team had a ballpark dirt map. Then you had just a major league baseball ballpark map. And then we put it in a way where you can pinpoint the different stadiums you visited with the dirt map. And we just started cranking out $500 a crack of a poster with some dirt on it. And that's how we got the numbers up. You know, we started selling, you know, probably well over 
I don't know, it's somewhere in the 50, 60 million dollars plus of dirt. And it happened well at a time when business played. was tough. It happened when business was tough because, you know, we've gone through that recession back in you know, 2007 and we're trying to come up with more ideas that were less expensive. So the timing of all this really worked out well, where people were still looking to collect. And I always felt like there was always a time when someone would pick up a little dirt in their pocket, you know, some of the players. So uh, they were always helping me promote my product, which was nice. I always thanked them. I'd see a picture of a player grabbing some dirt and I'd send them a photo and say, thank you for helping me promote my product. Never had to pay them anything, but so it was kind of cool. And, um, you know, listen, I, I think your first idea is never your best idea. And a lot of times if you keep drilling down and brainstorming and really thinking out the idea, it's amazing how far one idea can take you. And you shouldn't be in such a rush to come up with another one. I think that's great advice. And you definitely, you know, are a great example of that. And, uh, and thank you for coming on again. I really appreciate it. My, my pleasure. Oh, my, by the way, on Collectible Exchange or CX Stuff, I'm giving away any one of my three books through the end of August. Just pay for the shipping. Pick any one of them out or autograph it. And uh, I highly recommend any three. And my pleasure. I figure with the virus, if you're looking for a little inspiration, motivation, go to Collectible Exchange and I'll, I'll ship you out the book. If you want to see some of the stuff I'm talking about, just go to brandonsteiner.com and you can see some of the videos and blogs and stuff of the stuff I'm talking about. Awesome. And at Brandon Steiner on Instagram, right? Absolutely. My man. Message me on LinkedIn. I'm a big LinkedIn guy too. I love LinkedIn. LinkedIn's the future. <laughs> it's, it's, it's for the grownups. You know, if you really want to play the business game, social media wise, I love LinkedIn. It's a great way to communicate. Awesome. Thank you again, man. I'm not going to hold you too much longer, but appreciate you coming on and uh, catch you next time. Stay safe. Stay in touch. Yeah.